Hey, J. Crew. It's just Mark here in my own basement. No episode this week. Everyone's on vacation. Josh is somewhere in the Mediterranean. Stephanie's off somewhere. I don't know what Liel's doing. We're all just taking a break from each other. But that didn't mean that I was going to take a break from you. No, I thought that I would pop in and just uh, share a story that I haven't found the right opportunity to share otherwise. People always say, how did you get the idea for starting this podcast? And I always give some version of, well, I was working at Tablet Magazine and I saw that podcasts were the next big thing. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if the readers could listen in on one of our editorial meetings, if they could hear the kind of discussion and argument, but also playful joking that we have around the table at Tablet Magazine. And and I decided to put that into a podcast and people liked it and yada, yada. Here we are. And that's all true. But it's not really the deep answer. I, I think people are looking for something more. So give me just five or six minutes, and I want to tell you a story that I've not been able to fit in anywhere else. It, it, it's a story I carry with me, but I've never found the right opportunity to tell it on the podcast. And after I tell the story, I'm going to ask for two favors of you. Um, one is that you fill out a survey, and the other is that you give us some money. But listen to the story first, and then you'll do what you want with my requests. So here's the story. As a lot of you know, I was raised in a fairly secular home. It was a proud Jewish home. Nobody ever would have thought of denying our Judaism. Uh, We celebrated Hanukkah. We celebrated Passover. I was aware of the high holidays, but we didn't belong to a synagogue, so I never went to services on high holidays. I went to cousins' bar mitzvahs, but I didn't have one. It was like a reasonably connected, engaged, cultural Judaism uh, with a lot of laughter and a lot of argument and a lot of uh, of love in the family, Jewish on both sides, but no Jewish learning to speak of. And that totally seemed fine with me. I was a pretty thoughtful kid, and I occasionally asked myself questions about tradition or about my community's place in the world. I thought it was kind of interesting to be Jewish. I think I felt warmly about it. I was an atheist. I remember declaring that to my mother at a very young age, and I thought that organized religion was probably pretty stupid. But I also understood that Judaism was something more than organized religion. First of all, it's not that organized. But second, I understood that being Jewish was something bigger than just going to synagogue or not. And I was intrigued and a little bit um, pleased to be part of this bigger thing. But that was kind of it. I mean, there, there wasn't anything bigger in my future, religiously speaking. And then when I was uh, 15, my grandmother, Rebecca, after whom my eldest daughter is named, uh, Rebecca Muller Kirshner, died. She was 82 years old. And frankly, it was surprising she made it that long. She had a heart arrhythmia, Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which is not fatal, but also isn't helpful in terms of longevity. And um, she had not had a particularly easy life. She was raised one of 10 children of fairly strict Austrian Orthodox immigrant parents in Philadelphia. Her father had been uh, quite cruel to her. I've heard stories that he was maybe somewhat physically abusive. I think he slapped the kids if they were bad or took out a belt or something. He He was a taskmaster. He was a disciplinarian. Not a lot of love in her household. Her parents were, from what I hear, somewhat cold. Her siblings were, were fine, some of them more than others, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a warm, Hamish, loving mishpucha by any means. They were quite Austrian in their way. She married my grandfather. She was pregnant when she got married. 
Uh, my uncle Rick was born uh, prematurely, as they used to say, I think um, seven or eight months after my grandparents' wedding in 1930. And uh, she ended up having two more children, of which my mother was the last. I can't say I know a lot about her. I mean, when I think of all the questions that went unasked, given that I knew her until I was 15, it's, it's of course, startling, but not startling because children are narcissists and they don't always ask the important questions. There was a lot I didn't ask her about her life, about her beliefs, about why she had joined the Communist Party, for example, with my grandfather in the 1930s. But what I do know is that she was like the world's best grandma. Loving and caring, non-judgmental. There's that line that Robert Frost has about home, something like, Home is the place where when you go there, they have to let you in. I think I'm getting that right. My grandmother was like the relative who, when you went to her, she she had to love you. I mean, there was, she, she was a judgment-free person when it came to me anyway, and I think her other grandchildren. She was someone who assumed the best in other people. I think that more than any of my forebears whom I knew anyway, my parents or any of the grandparents I knew, I got her temperament, which was basically a cheery temperament. It didn't hold grudges. Um, I don't think she was really capable of grudges, and I'm not really capable of grudges. Um, It's a real blessing to have that kind of temperament, and I feel very connected to her just from the 15 years I knew her. Her funeral was held I think at some reform temple in Philadelphia, to which, of course, she had never belonged because since her childhood, she had never belonged to any uh, house of worship. She'd never paid dues. They were not shulgoers. She wasn't hostile to the religion of her youth, um, but she was not interested in it except as a cultural thing. And so we went there and there was a rabbi who did his did the best job he could. And some people said some things about my grandmother. I think both of her sons spoke, my Uncle Bob and my Uncle Rick. Uh, when they turned to my mother, she declined. She she was too emotional, too overwrought. And she said, no, that's okay. And she didn't say anything. I think some other people might have spoken. I don't remember. And then at the end of it, the rabbi said, okay, now we're going to recite the mourner's cottony. And at that point, everyone in the room, or so it seemed, began with Yiskadal, Yiskadash, Shemei First cousins of mine, aunts and uncles, my mom's first cousins, people in their 40s and 50s, none of whom was particularly religious. You know, most of them had been Hebrew school goers, at least through some sort of bar or bat mitzvah, and they just, they knew. They knew Yiskadal, Yiskadash, Merabah, like they just knew it. Or so it seemed. You know, it seemed like everyone in the room knew what to say to say goodbye to my grandma, Rebecca. And I didn't. I didn't, I didn't know it. I think I recognized that there was something Jewish about those words. There was, you know, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that it was Aramaic. I think I must have heard them before at bar and bat mitzvahs, but I just didn't know what it was. And I remember at that moment just feeling this profound sense of loss, that there was some sort of communal incantation, some sort of communal poem that could be used to say goodbye to someone who had died, and that my aunts and uncles and cousins knew it. And I didn't. And I remember thinking at that moment, okay, at the very least, someday I'll know that. I'll know how to do that. I'll know how to say goodbye to someone whom I love, who's Jewish, who has died. 
several years later, I went off to college and began learning stuff. And there's a lot more to the story, and you've heard it in bits and pieces on our podcast over the past four years. Um, we're nearing our fourth birthday. We have something like 4 million total downloads. It's probably above that now. Tens of thousands of listeners in any given week. It was some path that I had to go on that really did start the day that we said goodbye to my grandma, Rebecca. I just want to say that wherever people are in their appreciation of Judaism or love for it or recovering hatred for it or just twinge of curiosity about it, if you're the kind of person who's listened to our show even twice, I'm not going to say once because some people listen once and it's not for them, but if you've listened even twice, then I feel connected to you. I'm really grateful that you come along with me and Stephanie and Liel 40 or 50 weeks a year. So our fourth birthday is July 30th. Um, We're going to start our fifth year. We promise you a fifth year and hopefully many beyond that. I don't think it's tacky for me to say that we have two requests of you. Uh, The first is please go take our survey uh, because we need to know our listeners better. It's bit.ly slash uosurvey19. And we're opening uh, the fund drive in a couple weeks. But if we can get a head start, then we can make it shorter and get back to not asking people for money. Tabletmag.com slash donate. Just go to tabletmag.com slash donate. And listen, if everyone who's hearing this download gives something, the fund drive will be over. Right. If you've heard this download and you can go give $1.80 or $18 or $180 or more or whatever, but if everyone gives something, it will add up and we won't even have a fund drive. Here's the thing. If none of you give anything, you know that we're going to keep doing the show because it's more than a weekly podcast. It's a community for me and Stephanie and Liel and for Josh and Sarah and now Melissa Kaplan who joined us recently and it's part of Tablet Magazine which we love and it's a vocation and it's a community it's a community and a communion to use a really Catholic term with all of you with the J Crew. so thank you thank you thank you uh, please do what you can to help and we'll be back with a regular episode next week <laughs>